Welcome back to Straight from the Sources. Michael Russo, thanks as always for tuning in. I am coming to you from the 46th floor, the very top of the Delta Hotel here in Toronto. It's one of my favorite hotels uh, on the NHL circuit. It's one of my favorite uh, cities on the NHL circuit. My room looks over not only the CN Tower, but uh, Bishop City Airport right across the road, where I returned a rental car today, actually, and then Ubered here downtown, where I spent the day at the Situation Room, got there at about 2.30 this afternoon, and uh, incredible hosts down there at the Situation Room, and uh, I think there were eight NHL games I watched, including the Wilds' loss against the St. Louis Blues 3 nothing. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, it was just a fun day uh, watching Rod Pasma and Kay Whitmore and re- former referee Bill McCreary, Ho- Bill McCreary, Hall of Famer. Man, that's not easy to say. Um, and it was just a great time. I got there within five minutes. Uh, there was a uh, overturned goal for an offsides review where Bo Horvat was offsides by about a two feet. Um, lots of real fun, juicy stuff that happened in the Situation Room. A lot of little uh, tidbits that I've learned. Um, Coley Campbell actually watches. Uh, he's got a, a essentially a closed circuit to the Situation Room and tonight he watched a lot of games from his home but was able to uh, really chime in and uh, he's essentially working from home. Like He's on duty the entire time they are. All of a sudden you'll forget that he's even there because there's a camera behind you next thing you know he starts talking. It's pretty funny. Um, at, again, uh, really not much in in terms of overturn goals or, or uh, ch- challenges. In fact, I don't even think there was a challenge today except for the offside. There were two overturn goals on the ice or disallowed, waved off goals. One where Jason Dickinson clearly, um, you know, pitchforked uh, the puck over under the pad. I think Vladar was in net against Calgary. Um, I think it was Jason Dickinson for uh, Chicago. I assume the Dickinson I saw was Jason. I, I don't even know if Jason Dickinson's still in the league. Let's Google that real quick. Um, and then the other one happened late. Um, trying to think what that was too. There was an, a, uh, waved off goal in a situation in Anaheim where Benoit, uh, pushed, um, I wasn't Heiskanen. Um, believe it or not, I took notes. Um, oh, Lindholm. Uh, so Benoit, uh, pushed Lindholm into the uh, moorings, knocked the moorings off, then he scored into that. And by the way, it is Jason Dickinson on the Chicago Blackhawks. So um, I, I'm telling you, there was just so many cool things that happened in there. A lot of little things that I've learned and th- those stories uh, will be coming on The Athletic uh, later this month. I've uh, been in there about four or five times. Um, during that, they also reviewed a double minor high sticking um, against Mason Shaw in the wild game. And they were just basically making sure that it was his stick and it wasn't a follow through and it was, and he got a double minor and, uh, St. Louis actually scored, I believe the winning goal on that, uh, on that play. It was the winning goal. And, um, uh, and a lot of people were asking me what the, what the situation room think of the Hartman, uh, getting, uh, hit in the head, uh, by Robert Thomas and Eric Snack also having a head, uh, his head collide with the shoulder of a St. Louis player later on. That's actually the Department of Player Safety's protocol in New York City. I'm at the one in Toronto. These are goal reviews and just a lot of stuff, game stuff, um, that I'll be writing about later this month that you'll be able to, to hear. I, I don't think that either of the St. Louis players will get in trouble. Um, the Robert Thomas one, my gut says, even though I thought he launched himself a bit, they're going to look at it as unavoidable head contact. Um, and the other one, I 
think they're going to look at it and say Erickson Eck just, it was just a bad luck play that Erickson Eck was skating across and late reaction by the guy and, and, uh, and put it into his head. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see on uh, Monday. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury was away from the team today on personal matters. He's returning. The team will be with the team in New York City uh, and the Islander game. So we'll see. They're not practicing on Monday. So we'll see if he starts a game against the Rangers or starts a game against the Islanders. Um, Augustuson played tonight. Um, you know, to me, he looked good. Again, uh, not a great, great game for either team, uh, the Blues or the Wild. Uh, the Wild dominated the third period, but yet, um, you know, one breakdown as they try to push for a goal. And next thing you know, uh, Braden, Brandon Saad sets up Braden Shen for the uh, second goal, which effectively put the game out of reach, even though the Wild got a late power play. Thomas Grice was unbelievable. Um, but sleepy game, uh, first couple periods for the Wild. Uh, Jordan Greenway, weird situation. Um, originally, they were saying illness. Then after the game, Dean Evison apparently uh, was cryptic to the media and basically said uh, he was unavailable to us. That's all I'm saying. So I don't have any more intelligence uh, to what happened uh, with the Greenway situation other than uh, what Joe Smith originally reported that he's sick, but he was cryptic after the game, and we'll see what that means eventually. Um, but uh, the Wild, because they didn't have an extra forward, went with 11 forwards and seven defensemen again on a second of a back-to-back with travel. Uh, strange, but um, again, according to um, what I'm reading, I'm in Toronto, is that they talked this morning about what to do in this situation. They decided not to call up another forward, and it just seems like every time the Wild, it's not every time, I think the Wild are two and three uh, when they play uh, 11 and seven. The first time was an absolute mess. I think against Arizona, if I remember, no, yeah, I can't remember who it was yeah, off the top of my head. Um, and they did it a couple times, uh, after that, they won both those games and did it in San Jose. That didn't go well. And then they did it the other night or, uh, or tonight against St. Louis blues. So, um, you know, obviously it didn't, uh, go very well, uh, while I lost the game and, um, and, uh, Need to figure out a way to get some energy back. The hope is that they'll have Matt Zuccarello back for the road trip. Um, and we'll see what's up with Greenway. Uh, Duhame's back has looked good. Ryan Hartman's been uh, playing really well um, as well. Uh, last night in Buffalo, uh, major defensive breakdowns. Flurry gives up six. Really, the one goal, the fifth, was the bad goal that he kept on. You know, it's his favorite term whenever he gives up a bad goal. He calls it a stupid goal. And that's what he felt on the play where Rasmus Dillian scored from the wall um, up high in the offensive zone. Um, Dillian just had an unbelievable game. First defenseman in NHL history to score five points against the Wild. Uh, the, sec- the the first goal that he had was just absolutely spectacular. Yeah, defensive breakdowns. But, I mean, sometimes you got to tip your hat to the skill of an opponent. And Dillian just had an all-world game for an all-world defenseman. Tate Thompson looked great. Victor Olofsson looked great. Dylan Cousins looked great. Casey Middlestat, outstanding. Three assists. Um, there and uh, he'll actually be playing in Minnesota later this month on Hockey Day, Minnesota, um, when the Buffalo Sabres come to town. Uh, but we'll see if the Wild, after losing two in a row on back-to-back nights, uh, uh, one at least getting a point, if they can go on the road here to New York and New York and uh, get a couple uh, wins there or get a, uh, at least uh, you know maybe three out of four points. Um, right now they begin a six-game stretch outside of St. Paul in seven games. Uh, they play at the Rangers at the Islanders, then come home to play Arizona. Joe Smith's got that game. Then I'll pick up the team in Washington and Raleigh. Joe Smith will get Florida and Tampa. Um, Then I'll cover the Philadelphia Flyers home game, and then Joe the uh, 
Buffalo Sabres home game. I'm covering the Ulster game and the games in Arizona and Dallas, and that's the rest of the month. Um, I haven't mentioned yet, my guest today is Kevin Gorg. This is a very fun conversation. Now, full disclosure, we recorded this before the Wild played in Buffalo, so we didn't know the outcomes of, obviously, the games against Buffalo and St. Louis. So maybe this podcast will be a little more optimistic than maybe you want to hear right now after a couple losses in a row. Um, but just a fun conversation too with Gorg about myriad subjects. So hopefully everybody enjoys, but here's a word from one of our sponsors. Well, as mentioned, uh, really happy to be joined by Kevin Gorg here in Buffalo. And uh, Kevin, two self-deprecating things I have to say before we uh, we chat. One, we're here coming to you from the hotel that I was in on the day of the Devin Dubnik trade. Wow. And I was sitting in the lobby of this hotel with Pierre, Pierre Lebrun, uh, who at the time was ESPN.com, and I, at the time I was the Star Tribune. And we're sitting there in the lobby, and all of a sudden we both get this advisory that the Wild traded for Devin Dubnik. And I just go to him, Devin fucking Dubnik. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on and is a Vesna runner-up and a Mastery winner. Masters, and I mean, it's, you can't Nobody even make Nobody saw up. that coming. Yeah, I know, and I think just, a lot of people had a similar reaction. Yeah. But, you know, that was a magical yeah. year, the way the Wild were able to rally, and Dubnik was kind of the catalyst. Yeah. And then the other thing is the last time I had you on the podcast, people, I kind of want our incredible producer, Jeff Domet, to scrub this off the internet, off our website, off uh, Apple, Spotify, everything. But the last podcast that I did in March of 2020, before the pandemic interrupted the season, was with you and Dan Myers yep. and Ryan Carter joined for a little bit. In Anaheim. That, yeah, I have that great picture of you all three on the couch together. But in Anaheim at the, at the what was it, the Costa Mesa Weston there. And we're sitting in a, like a ballroom couch and we're talking about the pandemic and how we were just in San Jose and the, you know, Santa Clara, Clara health department wanted the NHL to, to get rid of the game. And the league said right away, no. And then next game we're in LA and next thing you know, we're getting players outside the locker room and we're not allowed in the locker room because of the pandemic. And then we go to Anaheim and the, the day before that game that Fiala scored the overtime winner, I said to you guys, I'm like, there is no way that this league will ever play without fans in the building. <laughs> and next thing you know, they have a freaking bubble to award the Stanley Cup. So, and the next well, season, you know, basically in front of very few fans. So, so what's your proclamation this time? Um, for for like, for what? For well, Maybe you're going to make another bold statement yeah, here that proves well, to I be mean, just the yeah. opposite. I try to get rid of my, like, like <laughs> you know, I, I was telling people on Twitter the other day, like, yeah, I remember when Jared Spurgeon was signed by the, the Wild, and all of a sudden, a couple of years later, they give him a three-year, $2.67 million deal, and I say to Chuck Fletcher on, the, on a phone interview, what are you thinking? <laughs> so, like, I've... You know, I've made lots of mistakes. Well, we all have. We all have. I mean, hundreds of pounds, yeah. uh, two nothing lead. We, we could both go on. Yeah, let's not. I don't think a two nothing lead is a bad statement. It's well, true. The two goal lead in hockey is an old adage. Yeah. And my point, and, I, and again, people attack me at all points on yeah. Twitter in these wild games. If there's ever a two goal lead or a two nothing lead, whatever. Back when that was going on, the Blackhawks were in their their run of three cups within five years. Mm -hmm. The Wild were no, nowhere near as good as they are right now. And my point to PA was 2 nothing lead would be great. If the Wild are going this series, they're going to have to play low-scoring games and not get trapped trying to play track meets against Taves and Kane and those Blackhawks. So I'd prefer every game stay 0-0 a little longer <laughs> just to make sure these guys don't get away from their game plan. But the beauty of the preposterous statement and Dan Cole, the common man, is they can extract that and it can live <laughs> on forever and you sound like a complete idiot. Yeah, and every time the Wild get up to, 
Russo slacks. He must have a catalog of like thousand pictures of you. He'll just tweet out without any context. He'll just tweet out of like a scare. I mean, I love it. It's kind of a, it's a funny bit. It is. Um, so um, we're just uh, came from the now. This is going to run on Monday, so the Wild are going to play two games after this podcast uh, before this podcast runs. So we don't know what they did against the Sabers or the Blues yet. But we just came from Key Bank Center where uh, the Wild had a morning skate. The Buffalo Sabers had a morning skate, and Donnie Granado walks into the <laughs> press conference and he. Right away, starts giving you some ribbing. Yeah, he gave me a hard time. My old uh, high school teammate at Burnsville, and I was lucky enough to play with Donnie uh, back in 1985. His family had moved in from Downers Grove over in uh, Illinois, and he had a great senior year for us, scored the game-winning goal in that section final. We beat Sean Podine and Rochester John Marshall at the Met Center. So Donnie and I have been friends now for almost 40 years. I'm so excited for the success that he's having. He's such an awesome coach, and, you know, his – you know, his fingerprints are all over players all over this league, including Jordan Greenway from his time with the U.S. Right. developmental Luke team. And, it's amazing, right? Yeah. Donnie's an unbelievable coach, great hockey family. And, yeah, he gave me a hard time this morning, and I got a big chuckle yeah. out of it. I saw him in Arizona a couple of weeks ago, and he gave me the old, what are you doing here? Uh, uh, <laughs> thing. And Tony Granato was there because it was during the Christmas break, so right. Wisconsin was off as well. Um, and so you obviously, uh, you guys won a state championship together, which he was talking about today um, with you. And um, was he there when you had the, the the when you invented the GoPro? Yes, he was on the ice shooting pucks at my head. And again, they taped they duct taped a camcorder to my helmet, and I had kind of a Chris Osgood look to to my helmet back in the day. And so I was on a, like a two and a half foot rope because the the back of this this computer thing that was shooting the video footage was attached to the net. And so now you, you tell a bunch of high school kids, hey, we're going to do this cool thing to give our viewers the perspective of goalie. Well, they line the, the team up in the across the moon there in the half, top of the circle. Every player is shooting at my head because they're trying to knock that camera. It was a giant thing off my helmet. It was embarrassing. But, yeah, he was on that team. Yeah, that was a million-dollar idea. But, yeah, like a billion-dollar idea. You no invented one, the GoPro. Who knew? Nobody ran with yeah. it, right? At the time, yeah. it, it didn't take off. Now you can strap a GoPro on it, and whether it's a jockey in horse racing or a, a referee or a player on the rink, it it's an amazing invention we could have had 37 yeah. years ago. Yeah, I remember uh, back in the 90s, my buddy DB called me up. He goes, you know what would be a good idea is that if you mail DVDs and CDs to people, mail DVDs to people's house the way that they do for CDs. Remember the Columbia, yeah. Columbia water, water, water you got one warehouse, month. whatever. Yeah, the- and so he's like, you know, this would be a great idea to send DB. I'm like, DB, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And then Netflix um, took and, off. Yep. Yeah. So he now to this day still says that I you stopped him from inventing. You Netflix. submarined his idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're here in Buffalo where the wild usually play well. Not, not so much last year. Um, that, that was a tough game. The wild had a they big blew lead. lead they, yeah, yeah. Two goal lead. Um, actually. But, um, and, and the wild even at home usually play well against this team. But again, things are changing. This Buffalo Sabres team is a team on the rise. I just saw them play in Arizona. Tage Thompson, Rasmus Dillian, they are special on the power play. Jeff Skinner's having a career year. Dylan Cousins is having a career year. You're doing a hit tonight on Kyle Poso. He continues to play well as their captain, getting good goaltending. They've won seven of eight coming into tonight. This is a different Buffalo Sabres team. It is, and I think they're way ahead of the the plan they had in place when they hired you know Donnie Granato to take over this team. They were probably looking at a three- or four-year window but here they are in year two. They've made huge strides. They're one of the highest scoring teams in the league. They're incredibly fun to watch. They've got young, talented players that seem to be flourishing under his leadership. And the the town, even though it's still a Buffalo Bills town, the town loves this team. And they're seeing 
right now the potential this team has, and they are on the cusp of being a playoff team. They are going to be a dynamic team in the Eastern Conference for years to come because they're so young. And I've watched a couple of games. I try to keep up with, with how Donnie's doing. And every time you watch this team, it doesn't matter if they're down in the game, if they're up in the game, the work ethic doesn't change. So it's going to be a difficult game, I think, for the Wild. I think there's going to be a lot of emotion in Absolutely. the building tonight with what we saw on Monday Night Football with DeMar Hamlin and that situation with the Buffalo Bills. The Wild better be on their, their absolute best if they want to especially in the first 10 minutes, put themselves in a position to win this one. And there's people already still in this community suffering because of the storm a couple weeks ago, or, or I mean, people died in their cars. And, and, and I mean, it's off. We were talking to Tyson Jost, you and I today, about what he went through. I mean, so a lot of the Buffalo Sabres live right on the water here, three minutes from the arena. And they he decided, hey, it's Christmas break. I'm going to try to get to um, home out to to uh, to head out back to Alberta. So during right at the beginning of the storm, he tries to leave, goes over the Peace Bridge, took him what should be a 10-minute drive to the Peace Drive, drive took him a couple hours. He finally gets through. The the uh, C- Canadian customs agent actually tells him, don't turn around because he's he asked him, what should I do? He said that there are like 50, 60 people that are stuck because of it. And he said that a lot of those people are the people that basically- uh, End up dying. Yeah. He said it took him five hours to get to Toronto. I just did this drive. It's an hour and a half max. And he said, and then he got into a 10-car accident with him in the car. I mean, like, it's unbelievable what this community has been through. And then you add this DeMar Hamlin situation, this being the first game at home for the Sabres since that, it is going to be an unbelievable atmosphere in that rink, a very emotional atmosphere tonight. You're right, Mike, and I, I had a conversation with Marcus Foligno on the walk from our hotel over to the rink this morning, and he said, you know, the one thing about this area, and he would know, yeah. is it's got a small-town feel to it, and people are really together. And he said, when when you go through what this town has been through here in the last calendar month and the emotion that's involved in all of that, um, they're looking for an outlet, and they're very passionate about their teams. So, you know, tonight it's, it's going to be pretty extraordinary. I think the Wild players um, – they're all sports fans, right? I mean, we talked to Mason Shaw this morning in the Big locker Bills room. Big Bills fan. Huge fan of Josh Allen and the Bills. So it's front and center. And I think the fact that this young man that suffered that cardiac arrest on the field is starting to show real signs of recovery when, let's be honest, we were at wild practice the Tuesday right after that game, and we were all wondering if this young man was going to make it out at all. Mm-hmm. And so that part is the most important part. And the way it's brought people together throughout the entire country, the prayers and all the great social, you know, there's good and bad with social media and we see some of the bad, but in situations like this with his charitable um, endeavor that he has going, you see the really good in people and the mm-hmm. good in social media. Absolutely. Um, let's, uh, I, I have a, a funny question for you, but before I get to that funny question, I do want to ask you about how uh, to remind people how you got into this business. I mean, you were uh, you were I was we talked about a high school goalie. Um, you were coaching uh, uh, hockey for a long time, and next thing you know, you wind up working with Anthony Lapanta. How do you wind up actually working for at the time Fox Sports North with the Wild, starting in what two thousand two thousand six was okay. my first year. So yep. this is year seventeen, and you know Crazy. it goes all the way back to the nineties when I was a boys' high school mm-hmm. hockey coach, and I did. Um, some section playoff games and some state tournament games with Lapanta. At the time, he was working for an outlet called KABL. Well, in the meantime, after I continued to move on in my coaching career and end up at St. Thomas coaching the women's team there at the university, he ends up going to MSC, which turns into uh, Fox Sports North, which is now Bally Sports North. And so in 2006, they were down an analyst. And 
they, him and Matt Hoover, who was one of our uh, producers over there, contacted me and said, would you be willing to do on a part-time basis around your coaching schedule some pre- and post-game shows for, for our wild? And I'm like, sure. At the time, I'm a season ticket holder. I'm a fan of the team, and um, I'm coaching. And so, yeah, I gave it a whirl, and I think I worked maybe 15, 20 games that year and loved it. And, you know, LaPanth and I are such different individuals. We've always had good chemistry yeah. on the air. And so that – Very different individuals. Very different, right? I mean, that's that's kind of <laughs> yeah. the the odd couple kind of way we do things, but it worked. And after that first year, they came back and said, we'd like to hire you more on a full-time basis. Would you be interested in leaving coaching? And it was a hard decision, Mikey. But, you know, at the time, I had three girls that had still yet to go to college, and I'm like – I love the coaching thing, but there's more money in this side of things. And I love, I was a sports broadcasting minor, so I knew I could do the job and I made the switch. And, you know, I've been very blessed along the way. And, and like I said, year 17, it's gone by in a blink. Uh, but without that connection to high school yeah. hockey and LaPanta back in the day, I never get my foot in the door. Now, you know, as well as I do, and I'll say this because Anthony will never listen to this podcast. No that's just the way that he is. None. Um he tells a story, but you never know. Sometimes he likes to exaggerate his stories. No. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing about Anthony is he tells the same story a thousand times, but every single story is different <laughs> that he tells a thousand times. It's like, you know, you're just yeah. like, he was telling a story the other day, and I'm just like, oh, boy. You know, like, it's just not the way it happened, but you go, you He's do He's so you. good at storytelling. But anyway, he tells this story that the first time that he worked with you, and again, I could be getting this wrong, that he basically watched you after a game keep your entire team on the bench and lambaste them in front. Like, you wouldn't, or maybe it was at an intermission. It was intermission. Yeah, so you wouldn't let them go to the locker room? Yeah, we played at a, a neutral rink at Roseville Arena. We're playing the number one team in the state, Hill Murray. We're Moundsview, right? I mean, we're just these, you know, we got no chance on paper. So we go out there, but our team was, we were a winning team that year. We had a bunch of seniors. We ended up being a pretty good team. We won 18 games in that particular season. So we go out jam-packed, full house, and our kids are nervous, and we're down five rip after the first period. And little effort, horrible mistakes, dumb penalties. I mean, everything you could do wrong, they did. So I was scheduled to do an interview, kind of where you walk off the ice at Roseville Arena down by the locker rooms. And as our players start to filter off, I tell our captain, I'm like, go get those guys and get their asses back to the bench right away. And the kind of the guy looks at me and goes, okay, coach. So he goes back and grabs the goalie and all the guys are on the ice and brings them back to the bench. And they're all looking around like, why are we not going to the locker room? And I said, here's the deal, boys. I said, if you're going to come out here and play the way you just played and embarrass this coaching staff, you don't get to go hide in the locker room. You're going to stay out here. We're going to do our intermission right here, and you're going to figure out how to play a more competitive hockey game. And then I walked down, and I did the interview with LaPanta while they sat on the bench, and they were furious. Now, we ended up losing the game. I think it was like 8-5 to five in the end, but they played a yeah. lot harder after yeah. that. And my point was, you don't get, get to go hide after yeah. going out there and embarrassing your teammates. Good learning lesson, absolutely. That's, that's pretty funny. I mean, no, he, his story was yeah, accurate. Okay. That's it pretty, was accurate. That's pretty good. And then next thing you know, that same tournament, that's when you've worked with them for the first time? Or well, no? I worked with them going back to oh, okay. my days at Burnsville. We used to have a holiday tournament at the Civic Center, which is now where the property where the X is. And so in that holiday tournament, we played against Matt Cullens, Moorhead Spuds. He mm -hmm. was the guy we tried to shadow. But LaPanta always worked those games, uh, both TV and radio, with a guy named Tarmo Kubitz. And so I did interviews with him. And I think with my outgoing personality and, and my willingness to talk whenever they needed me, we kind of started up that friendship at that point. And, and, and he'd circle back with me and have me help outcome section playoff time when my teams were done. Yeah, um, uh, yeah it was pretty uh, – I mean, I, I, like I, I just think it's really cool. I'm trying to think of the best way to say this without – 
like ripping sports writers. Um, I just think it's really cool that you have this local sports team that's in the NHL with two locally, um, uh, two local uh, guys that grew up in yeah, the area. Yeah, exactly. And I'm trying to say this in a, in a, in a nicer way because I, I'm always fascinated because this is going to make me sound like pompous, but I am, I'm fascinated that you have these two newspapers in town that really, at least since the wild have been around, have never had a locally born and raised hockey writer. Which you know, shocks me too. Yeah, I like agree. you know, Tom Jones, Chris Snow, Michael Russo, Sarah McClellan, all at the strip were the were the beat writers. They're never from Minnesota. And sort of same thing with Pioneer Press as well. And so, you know, like Brian Murphy, John Shipley. I don't think John's from Minnesota. He's definitely not. You know, Dan Mizutani. I mean, it's just bizarre. It and, is. And according to Twitter, everybody knows more than us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. See, you see, see, like it took a long way to get the shot. I loved it though; it was worth it. But I do. I mean, in all genuine, everybody just stopped listening to this podcast and just decided to tweet me and f you. But (laughs) I mean, but in all honesty, I think it really is cool that you have these two locally local, uh, you know, and Ryan Carter, and you know, it's just it's a neat thing. We were walking into the Bell Center about five years ago, and. LaPanth and I looked at each other and it was going to be a, it was a big game. It was in Montreal, which always has that fun feel to it. And he looked at me and he goes, did you ever in your wildest dreams think, you know, back in the nineties when we were doing those goofy high school shows out of this tiny little studio, uh, that we'd be doing this. I said, no, I, would have, I mean, I wouldn't have believed you. No one would have believed yeah. you. And it's just, it's cool how it all came full circle. Absolutely. So the reason why I want you to kind of remind people about how you got to do what you do is, uh, is you know one of the things that has taken off this year is Jake Middleton, <laughs> Kalen Addison, all these guys coming out. Tarps like off. Before, remember, like Sickman's, like you know, you put on your hat, like you know, like like Sickman was always a stickler for like He's, if you're gonna go on the brand, wear your wild T-shirt, wear a wild hat, blah 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 blah. And now it's just like, all right, just go out there shirtless. <laughs> Jake Middleton changed everything, yeah. right? I think people have embraced his personality from the time the the Wild traded for him last year. Our hockey fans, our community has really embraced who he is, mm-hmm. and now there's there's a trickle-down effect because now here comes Kalen Addison. We're in Dallas. Here comes Ryan Reeves with the pizza party and the shirt off. But it all circles back to, to Jake Middleton and his personality and how on brand that is, and now the TNT broadcast the other night after the Tampa game picked up on it. Who knows where it's going to go, but I think it's awesome, and I can't tell you how many people interact with me during these games when he's on about how much they enjoy it. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's like that first time that he came out like that, were you like, are, are, okay, are we okay to go on? Like, were you, or are you just, how do you keep from getting your, <laughs> getting like, you know, you laughing? Well, you smile a little bit. Uh-huh. And the story goes, the first time he did it, he, he doesn't wear a t-shirt under his gear. Yeah. And he couldn't find the t-shirt in his locker. And, you know, when we ask for those guys, there's about a 60 to 90 second window before we're back and live. So I think at that point he just had to come out and it was so well received and everybody loved it so much that it's just kind of been his thing now. Right. And now Addison does it and they all do it. It's just great. It's hysterical. Let's talk about before we, uh, I I have a bunch of fun Twitter questions for you, but before we talk about that, let's talk a little bit about the team right now. I mean, you know, we were talking over lunch, Gory, like in November, you know, again, self-deprecating, you know, I tell people all the time, or I try to, people (laughs) might roll their eyes at this so that, you know, when I'm wrong, I was wrong about this team. Like in mid-November, I thought this team was going nowhere. Yeah, you know, had one of those moments with LaPanta. Remember oh, that God. we had in Phoenix yeah. from like, tell me the games are going to win. But it was the same thing. Like he'd be like, yeah, this team's a shoo-in to make the playoffs. I'm like, what the? Exactly. Smoking? Drives you nuts. Um, but you know, the one big reason that concerned me, one big thing that concerned me is that 
Dean kept on talking identity, identity, identity. And I kept on just rolling my eyes at that because I just felt that they were trying to put a square peg into a round hole. That last year they were this fast team. They had an extra game breaker in, in Fiala. They were definitely bigger. They were definitely faster. They were definitely heavier. Like every cliche, they were, you know, actually last year, maybe defensively, they weren't that great. But he wanted to become this big, heavy, defensively stingy team again. And I'm like, it's not going to happen with this cast of characters and these two goaltenders. And here we are. In the last six weeks, they've been the best defensive team in the league. They're getting secondary scoring up and down their lineup. They've, they're 13 or 14 and four since Ryan Reeves have been here. You know, maybe five at this point. Again, and knowing that they've played two games also before, uh, before this podcast, that so we're not sure of the results yet. But are you surprised that this team has turned it around and become as good as they are? I'm surprised it's happened as quick as it has because mm -hmm. that first month of the year, back to your point, they didn't look right. It yeah. just didn't look like they were all on the same page. And I think going back to training camp, this has always been a team that's been fun-loving, and this bunch has always been a really easy group to be around. And there was a sense of, I don't know how to call it frustration, but there was an edge to every one of these guys. When we first talked to them during training camp, I think it was a carryover from last year and how disappointing that that playoff series was with St. Louis. And I don't think they were over it. And then I think because they were a team that was able to outscore teams last year, that they felt they were just going to go back out and be the same team, even though there was no Kevin Fiala and they were constructed differently. The one thing I always go back to is I am so impressed with this coaching staff and with Dean Everson and how they have the respect of this team and they know how to push the buttons of all these players at the right times because they have been able to really cultivate this change in the entire group. And at every point you see Dean Everson, he seems to make moves, Mike, before it's too late. My point would be with, like with Kalen Addison, he was still producing. He was still really good on the power play. And yet we're up in Edmonton, you know, last month and he sits him out and it's a wake up call. And now he's been a better player defensively since that, that conversation and that, Time in the press box. Dean is that guy that seems to know exactly when to make those type of moves, and he's usually ahead of the curve. It's a gift, and they're a great coaching staff, and these guys are buying in, and I think they get the most out mm -hmm. of what they have. Let's not forget that they're playing this season and next season with basically part of one arm tied behind their back with the Suter and Parisi money, and yep. yet here they are. This season and next two. Yeah, yep. they're still competitive, yep. though. Like I think people forget that. They're like they, they set the bar high last year, and that's wonderful, but I think people forget that, and that's the biggest reason a guy like Kevin Fiala isn't here, and yet they still are on pace to have over 100 points this year. They're in contention for a division title, which – it blows me away, but it's the coaching staff, and obviously Bill Guerin has a lot to do with that too because he's the guy yep. that went and got Ryan Reeves, and that looks like a hell of a move. Yeah, it really does. Um, the guy that uh, shocked me too is Philip Gustafs. I mean, this guy is, you know, at the beginning, same thing. I, I'm like, oh, my God. He didn't have a great training camp, no. Mike. He didn't look great. Um, he had yet to play 30 games in the National Hockey League, and, you know, with Talbot gone, knowing that Fleury, you know, at, at that point you're thinking, my God, is he going to play 65 games? Yeah. But here we are at the midpoint of the season, and it looks like they both stay healthy. Yeah. What, what an asset they're going to be. Again, during training camp, you wouldn't have probably said that. Yeah. You you get to see venue uh, parts of arenas that none of us get to see. You have a really cool vantage point that you know us in the press box and the worst seats in the house don't get to see. Um, you had a really cool thing that happened to you in San Jose the other day is, is – um, you know, again, there's no that's a small visitor's bench, so the visiting goalie, never, backup goalie, never sits 
on the uh, the bench in San Jose. He sits in the t- usually in a folding chair right at the glass, but you guys actually sat away from the, you and Flower. I'm yeah, saying. Flower came yeah. down the ramp, and right where the guys go on the ice, he brought a folding chair and said, do you mind if I watch the game with you? And I was just like, who put him up to this? This is crazy, right? And so we sat in a, a couple of folding chairs, and we have a monitor down there for our broadcast on Bally's, and we watched the game together for two and a half hours. Yeah. And other than the intermission, he and I were sitting there. And Matt Benz pointed out, one of our uh, equipment guys pointed out to him that I was an old goalie. So we started talking about equipment, how the game's changed. I mean, it was I, it was one of my favorite nights on the job. 17 years, it's top five for me uh, because I've always looked up to Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm such a fan of who he is, not just on the ice, but off the ice. And that night just validated everything I thought about him. We've all had conversations with him and done interviews, and, and we love him. But when you spend two and a half hours together watching a hockey game, it was like sitting with one of your buddies. And yeah. for me, it was just remarkable. Um, somebody asked, what is your favorite NHL arena? And again, you see it differently. Like some play-by-play guys might hate certain arenas that you love um, because you just have a different vantage point of everything. Um, what are you, What's your favorite arenas? Well, I've got two, and, and I'll say for Wild fans, the easiest one they can get to is they need to get down to Chicago. They mm-hmm. need to experience the anthem at a Chicago Blackhawks game. It's a great building. It's a great atmosphere. That's my runner-up. My favorite's where we're going next week, uh, Madison Square Garden. Me too. I, I, there is something extraordinary about walking in that building to watch a sporting event, and I've got a great spot on the glass just to the right uh, of the Wild defending net in the first and third period. I can see both benches. And it looks different there. It mm-hmm. feels different. It's the rink is more lit up. It's the the noise level. The crowds are great. There is nothing like watching a game at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. So if I had to pick one city or one rink, it's my very yeah. favorite. What is the? Remember there was a, a game where the Wild won in overtime, and there was a video of you like jumping up and down. Was that? 24- that was Nashville, unfortunately, okay. last year. That was oh the, with Kulikov, right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah. And that like was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Because, but that, no, but I mean, that, like. But I think that's the cool thing is that you get. You, I'm right there yeah, on the glass. Yeah, you and have I love unbridled, it. you know, access. And for me, I'm an old goalie, so yeah. I'm most comfortable kind of around the net area yeah. on the glass because it's the same yeah. perspective I had all my life yeah. watching hockey. And and being that I love the goalies, yeah. I love to be right by them anyway. Yeah, and that that's cool. Like same thing in San Jose. I watch warm ups from down below. Um, in Arizona, it's such a small rink that you really get to appreciate the, how fast and how little time these guys have. different spot, right? It's a different spot than being in the press box, and you have it. I thought you were going to say Atlanta was your best uh, Yeah, yeah, the Atlanta, you, the Sports Illustrated yeah, picture. Where yeah, you were very focused. I was focused. I mean, Nicholas Backstrom was doing some things in that <laughs> blue paint during a TV timeout uh, that clearly I was mesmerized by. Now, don't mind that the Thrashers cheerleaders were in the neighborhood. Yeah. I had no idea they were even there. Yeah, it was. It was it's still the funniest picture ever, and I wish uh, so we could find it somewhere. I've got daughters let's yeah, I know. this conversation yeah, but it was just this funny <laughs> thing that he he is watching nicholas backstrom because the cheerleaders are out there it looked like you're watching that it looked and, yeah, bad yeah, is yeah. what it looked like yeah it looked like Uncle i Bad's just, I just really house. want that picture it's gotta <laughs> be somewhere don't. um all right let's go to some twitter questions name can't be blank that's this guy's twitter handle i love it <laughs> name can't be blank okay um as a world-renowned cinephile uh what is your favorite movie of all time and is it true that all sequels are never better than the first movie no, uh, Godfather proved that wrong a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I think Godfather 2 is actually better than the original. Um, all-time favorite movie for me is Hoosiers, and right away people are going to be like, wait a minute here, you're a hockey guy. You can't have that as your favorite movie. It's a basketball movie. But remember, growing up in Minnesota and playing youth hockey in, in that area, it was all about the greatest amateur tournament in the world. And the cool part of the movie Hoosiers is it's 
Indiana basketball, mm -hmm. and it's a small town, Hickory, having the chance to play on that big stage against the big schools for a state championship. Gene Hackman's one of my all-time favorite actors, and if that movie is on, I cannot turn it off. Yep, Young Frankenstein, Gene Hackman. Oh, oh my, my God. God, good call, uh, good call. So good. Um, and uh, Name Campley Bank Blank also asks, what's your favorite player to do in interviews with between periods, and do you think that we'll ever get to see a Kaprizov do an inter inter between periods interview? Well, I think so, yes. I think at some point we will. I think he's the player everybody wants to hear from, and I know he's still getting comfortable mm -hmm. in that type of scenario. Um, I think it will happen before this year is over. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Favorite player right now probably be Marcus Foligno. I mean, his answers are awesome. Anything but cliche. He's thoughtful. Middleton's, of course, a lot of fun. We talked mm -hmm. about him already. And anytime I can talk to either one of the goalies, different personalities, but I love getting that perspective because that's the one I can most relate to. Yeah, there's so many good quotes on this team. If people haven't listened to my podcast recently with Mason, Sean, Kalen, Addison, oh, yeah. I highly recommend that. Not recently, actually, that was training camp, but go back in the archives. I love dealing with Flower. I love dealing with Felino. Love dealing with Spurge. They're just good yeah. people, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, all right, a couple more for you, then we'll let you go, uh, Gorgie. Uh, by the way, I sprung this on Gorg today because somebody actually on Twitter said to me, hey, great podcast with Lapanta, but what's the deal with Straight from the Source? Like, is it on hiatus? And then all of a sudden I thought, I'm like, wait a minute, when's the last one I did? What happened was I recorded one with Whitey, but that one we've now had to hold uh, until until something happens that this was a reveal on uh -huh. and it's gotten slowed down. So what happened is that thing has been just sitting. So I thought that I did one more recent than I did. So all of a sudden I popped this on your Whitey being our, our, yep. our travel yeah. director that does really everything behind the scenes. Exactly. Um, Dave, uh, Turk 182 asks, what does Gore think the wild need to do as an addition to get us to the next level? And then he asked number one center question mark. Well, it's a forward for sure. And mm -hmm. I know they've got depth right now with Duhame coming back. And, you know, Zuccarello's not here this weekend as if we're recording this before the Buffalo game on Saturday. But if if they're going to get to that next level, and I don't know how Bill Guerin has to do this, and mm -hmm. he's got some some depth in the organization right now. If you could get one more weapon to make, you know, that second power play unit's just not good enough to, to be dynamic yet as far as the numbers go. Mm -hmm. And, and just the depth of offense. I think offense. they have one goal this year. They rely too much, yeah. in my opinion, still on yeah. Zuccarello and Kaprizov. That will be tested this weekend yeah. with, with Matt's out. But if you can get one more, and it's not easy, and I don't know how they stay under the cap and if they have to make a trade yeah. and if they have to give something up. They, the actually, they actually will have a significant amount of cap space at the deadline. So, so that would be what I would do. Whether it's a center or not, yeah. I don't know. They need to be better in the face-off circle. Yeah. So if you can find a guy that can win draws and yeah. score goals, they don't grow them on trees. Yeah. And teams like, I think O'Reilly would be great, but I don't see how that St. Louis no would chance. just help the Wild. You know, the, my dream is, like, I, I actually don't, like, you know, Horvat would be perfect, but oh, what you'd have to give God, up to get Horvat good. without having being able to resign him, I think it's impossible. And so, like, to me, somebody asked me about Taves on Twitter. You know what? I, I, I think that at this point, if Taves is not the guy, like if Taves can't, if if Bill Guerin looks in and it's like, you know, at this stage, Taves wouldn't help us. Like to me, the guy that actually would help this team is Patrick Kane because you put Kane next to Boldy on the le on the left, or, or you put Boldy on the left and Kane on the right. Now that almost you know fixes the Fiala issue, and um, you know, and we know that how hard it is to get a center. So I think that is the biggest weakness of the team. 
But if you can't do that, now you add a cane to Boldy and it slots everybody down. You could always put Hartman back at center. I just, that to me is my fantasy. Um, you know, plus I'd love to cover Kane. But again, he'd have to wave to come here. You'd have to give up the assets. It, you know, it just probably is an outlandish thought. But hey, last year, I thought for a while Flurry was going to be an outlandish thought. Next thing you know, they make the move. So a um, couple more for you. Um, somebody wanted to know about the Burnsville co op uh, now with uh, Apple Valley. Your thoughts? Well, it's tough. That was Alex Micheletti that I think asked that. And by the way, Elon, who I forgot to take a picture with this morning, um, that was at the morning skate, he asked the favorite NHL arena question, just to give some shout-outs. Thanks, Elon. Uh, anyway, but to the Apple Valley-Burnsville combine, you know, let's let's just be real here. It's it's tough for all of us that played for Burnsville. Apple Valley was our biggest rival, and it's a numbers game. And the numbers now, I think last year they had – 21 or 22 kids come out for, for varsity hockey. You can't even field a junior varsity with that, much less a competitive varsity team. They didn't win a game. So it's tough, and I understand why they're doing it. You want opportunities for these kids to play uh, in the South Metro, and so now you have to blend in with one of your rivals and make the best of it. But you're not going to ask any of us that played for Burnsville, especially in the mid-'80s when, when they were you know 150 kids trying out for hockey, if it's a good thing, it's not a good thing. It'll circle back at some point. It just, it's disappointing that they have to do it, but they had no choice. Yeah. Uh, Darren wants to know your favorite high school arena. Oh man. Um, there are so many good picks, but if I had to pick just one and it's going to pay me to say it because when you grew up playing high, high school hockey in, in Burnsville, you didn't love Edina, but Braemar arena is awesome. Seats on both sides for me is a must. The horseshoe seating, the press box at the far end of the rink, which is super cool. I love games at Braemar. They're awesome. Yeah. Um, I've only been to a couple. I've been obviously to Braemar. I've been to, to the men's hockey at Phelan. Um, Phelan, right? Yep. Um, and then uh, the one that I loved was Richfield. Like, uh, Great St barn. Yeah. So I saw Minnetonka play Holy Angels there once when the Riley brothers won a Holy Angel. Oh, Holy yeah. Angels. Yeah. And uh, my cousin and and uh, Justin Hall. And uh, so Andrew Prochno, Michael Prochno, Justin Hall. It's going to be a hell of a game. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I, Max Gardner, I think, was on that team. I don't think Jake was anymore. It was a really fun game. And uh, the thing I'll remember about that game is that Hall and Prochno went on a two-on-O shorthanded, two defensemen. And I remember turning to a Andrew's dad, Mike, and I said to him, I'm like, Hey, I just want you to know they better freaking score. <laughs> did they? they? Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah, but I'm just like, there's. I've never seen a two on zero with two, two defensemen shorthanded. Shorthanded. Yeah, it's just hilarious. Um, two more for you. That uh, one, actually three more for you. Uh, Strictly Wild wants to know if you're superstitious at all. I carry 21 cents in my left pocket. I have since 1985. It's my very favorite number. It was the number I wore when I played back for the black and gold of Burnsville. So yes, I am very superstitious. And uh, yeah, you got, but people have to see your color, the way that you color your, <laughs> I mean, it's, you've got like 16 different markers. I have and, placards that I yeah. build for every broadcast. Yeah. I, I do it for all my fantasy football stuff. And I think that's where people yeah. really think it's strange, but I love, I, I'm old school. I'm 55. I have to write things down and I like to have that with me wherever I go during the broadcast. All right. Two, one, one serious, one funny. Okay. Uh, two more for you. All right. J O A Ickblad wants to know how will Canterbury be able to keep their purses up with the Sioux agreement ending? Yeah. Diff difficult situation. I think you're seeing a little bit of a, a window into that answer this next coming summer where we're going from 68 race days down to 54 race days. And I think that right now is the best solution. The cool thing for Canterbury moving forward is this still can be renegotiated and restarted and with sports wagering still out there. And I think a possibility and Canterbury being a logical place to do it. Slots could be a part of that. There is a reason for 
uh, Mystic Lake and Canterbury to have that partnership again. But for this summer, it's a few le- less ra- race days, 54 down from 68. Okay, last question. It's from a guy named Radio Fallness. Oh, God. Yeah. He goes, would he hashtag mute TV if he were home in his jammies like regular folks? <laughs> No, I would not. Uh, the Panther will be purring for every broadcast. And as much as we love Kevin Fallness's voice, and not, almost as much as he loves his own, if you listen to any of those shows, holy cow, you know, put a cork in it once in a while, Fallness. No, I will never mute LaPanta and TV. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, really appreciate it, uh, Kevin. This was a, a fun, uh, fun podcast. You're always just a, a joy to listen to, just the enthusiasm. Uh, uh, that kid Brody that was shadowing me out in California. It, it, one nice of his kid. Big, one of his biggest thrills of that trip was getting to actually meet you and talk to you. And Could not have the, been a nicer yeah, young man. Yeah, so, so uh, excited for his future. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Kevin. And here is a word from one of our sponsors. Well, my thanks to Kevin Gorg for joining this week's edition of Straight from the Source. Always a fun chat with Kevin Gorg. He's one of the greatest people. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, lots of podcasts on our platforms this week at The Athletic. Luke Hughes joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentili on The Athletic Hockey Show USA. And the Stewart boys, Chris and Anthony, join the roundtable with Rob Piso, Jesse Granger, and yours truly Wednesday on the Athletic Hockey Show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and review. And subscribe to the Athletic Hockey Show NHL's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. That's youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. And of course, get a new subscription to the Athletic for $2 per month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Straight from the source. We'll be back soon with our guest, Andrew Height. Talk to you soon, everybody.